The Lord be with you and also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. Friends, near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your self-identification with your own form of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. Today, during winter break week at Boston University, we enjoy the musical leadership and support of our sister choir in Coro Novo under the fine leadership of Dr. Therese Provenzano. Today, during winter break week at Boston University, we enjoy the preaching voice of Ms. Susan Forche, chapel associate, who is one of our four doctoral candidates serving in ministry at Marsh Chapel this year. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. let us pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your way, and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith 
to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, a weekly moment of contrition brings the comfort of order and the power of pardon. When we worship, we find our tongue for confession. We all sweep things under the rug, such human beings we are. But as my friend says, when you sweep so much under the rug that you begin to trip over it, the time for house cleaning has come. You are known. You are loved. In that confidence, during the singing of the Kyrie, let us offer our silent confession. Beloved, hear good news, trust good news, says one to the other, te absolvo, te absolvo. Your past is tamed, your future is open. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. 
For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness, now the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God.
Let us say verses together from Psalm 22, including the Antiphon. Jacob, glorify him, stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard my cry of him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. And I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. And proclaim his deliverance to the people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel, let us be upstanding. Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked, and he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, 
children how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. The Markan author writes, Jesus looking at him loved him. Please pray with me. Lover God, may the words of this text, the speech of my lips, and the meditations of all our hearts bring you glory and us wisdom about your love as we worship this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Just before our gospel reading begins, there's a story of Jesus and children. I invite you to imagine the scene with me. Jesus is surrounded by children. They are laughing. Some of them are probably shy. Some are making faces at the disciples. Jesus is enjoying their presence, but he's also a little frustrated. His followers had rebuked the parents for bringing the children. So Jesus was taking the opportunity to give everyone a teaching on who will enter the kingdom, using the children as an object lesson. He calls the listeners to become as children, to enter into the kingdom. Now into this tableau runs, runs, this young man, dramatically falling to his knees. Jesus had said to his disciples, let the little children come to me, and this man comes youthfully, respectfully. I think of these two stories as entering the kingdom, lesson one and lesson two. The young man is the adult example for the object lesson begun with the children. This youthful interloper takes center stage and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What follows is a conversation filled with love and with challenge. Mark sets up the young man as a hero. We hope he will receive an answer to his question, that he will face himself and will choose wisely. We want a Hollywood ending. To hear it fresh brings us to sorrow anew at the young man's decision to leave. His leaving can haunt us and fill us with questions about our own choices. What if we are faced with a challenge we know is good and life-giving, but we can't take the step and follow? What if we feel that God asks us to do something and we go away grieving instead? Even now, you might be feeling a tightness in your heart, a recognition of being faced with such a choice. Maybe it is a work situation, a family concern, maybe working through emotional scars, a vocational call that refuses to be silenced, a call to take a stand even at the risk of losing relationship, or maybe a risk to trust more deeply than ever before and just walk forward. Before addressing these concerns, let us consider the gentle invitations, and there are five of them, that Jesus sets before the young man and before us. The young man gives us hints at his inner state through action and words. His first unconscious admission is in his first question. Good teacher, what must I do? It seems for him, inheriting eternal life requires him to learn a path and just do it. This child who youthfully runs to Jesus has lost his inner childlike faith. He seeks salvation through his own effort. Jesus responds to the young man's first question with a question in a classic teacher-disciple ploy. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This is the first invitation. 
the young man is invited to reevaluate his view of Jesus. Who is Jesus? What is his authority? How binding is his wisdom? Do I believe he speaks the word of God? Do I believe he is God? If Jesus offers a way to eternal life, is it truth? The young man remains silent. Jesus continues, you know the commandments, and Jesus proceeds to list six of them. The young man responds that he has kept all of them since he was a boy, and here Jesus looks at him. The Greek word means discerning gaze, clear-sighted, direct, and Jesus loves him. Here the word means love without condition. But something life-giving is still missing. And here Jesus offers a second invitation under this gaze of love for the young man to reconsider his priorities. Jesus meets the young man where he's doing well. The commandments Jesus names would suggest the man is honest in his relationships with others, friends, family, business partners. But the commandments that are not mentioned may reveal a blind side and give us insight into the young man's spiritual life. There are four of them. You will have no other gods before me. You will not bow to idols. You will not misuse the Lord's name, and you will observe the Sabbath. Now, could the young man have answered affirmatively to observing these commandments? We don't know. But the story suggests that while he does not murder or lie and takes care of his family, his pursuit and ownership of possessions may somehow have gotten in the way of a loving and justice-filled relationship with God and others. As just one example, the commandment to keep the Sabbath in his context was the opportunity for landowners to allow their servants and animals to rest and worship God. To not keep Sabbath would mean prioritizing economic gain over the worship of God and expecting others to place work over worship. Sabbath-keeping remembers the creation of all things and the need for rest and worship that God has written into the rhythm of life. One also observes the justice of allowing others to rest and worship in freedom. Then Jesus offers a third invitation to the young man. Go, sell what you own, and give to the poor. It is an opportunity to reevaluate his relationship with his possessions and those in poverty. It is an all-encompassing directive and invites the young man to directly face himself and his life. And here, we need to pause, and we need to pay attention and acknowledge the enormity of this call. Following this invitation, Jesus offers a fourth one, another opportunity for the young man to reevaluate his view of Jesus. Jesus simply says, come, follow me. Who is Jesus? What is his authority? To follow Jesus would mean giving up life as the young man knew it. It would require even more trust than selling his possessions and reorienting his relationship with the poor. It would mean letting go of his image of what eternal life really entails, one not based in privilege, but in relationships marked by loving generosity. The rich young ruler goes away grieving not because he didn't get an answer to his question, not because he didn't acknowledge Jesus' authority to answer his question, but because he had great wealth. He gets caught at that point and cannot live it out fully. I get caught at that point. We may each get caught, maybe not financially, though we are so wealthy here in the U.S. in comparison to global statistics, we may get caught in our wealth of opportunity, education, possessions, family situation. Each one of us will get caught at some point. It may be our understanding of who Jesus is, who we are, what hinders us, and whether we can follow fully. 
Each one of Jesus's invitations is impossible for us to embrace fully and perfectly. We will get caught. And let me underscore this. Jesus's invitations are impossible to embrace fully, perfectly, as something that we do. This point is best expressed in the disciples' frustrated reaction. Who then can be saved? I love Jesus' comments after the young man left. He states directly the difficulty for the rich to enter the kingdom. I can imagine Jesus standing there waiting for a wave of protest from the disciples, but the disciples are amazed into speechlessness or just plain baffled. Jesus says it again, and his phrase makes me smile. Children, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus invites us to evaluate the young man's initial question to face the fact that for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. With God, all things are possible. And this is the fifth and final invitation, to trust that what is impossible for us is possible for a loving God. What happened to this young man after his encounter with Jesus? I have never resonated with sermons on this passage that casts the young man as an antagonist. His responses are so authentic. Every time I read it, his choice to walk away makes him human to me. I've never considered his choice final. Jesus' gaze of unconditional love does not force a response. It gives us the freedom to go away grieving and not be concerned about presenting an image of conversion. An authentic response, I believe, flows unconsciously from the action of God's grace in our lives. The key is not so much what we do, but in allowing our minds and our hearts to continue to worry away at the challenges, to live the questions, as Rilke says, to walk with our failure at converting ourselves. We can go away sad. We can acknowledge that Jesus' light shines into our darkness and allow God's loving and grace-filled gaze to spread through us like yeast. It may take time. I wish, though, that the young man had stood his ground after Jesus calls him to sell everything. I wish he would have said, but this is impossible for me to do, or I believe, help my unbelief, or I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. I wanted his childlike exuberance that caused him to run up to Jesus and drop to his knees to break forth into a wholehearted reception of Jesus' invitations. But instead, he leaves. I cannot believe that the young man went home unchanged. I hope he woke up one day and discovered he was transformed in an inexplicable way and not from anything he could consciously trace to his own action or decision. I have hope that he returned, that one day after wrestling with Jesus' invitations, he realized transformation happened because of grace, not his works. We all go away grieving at times. When we receive Jesus' invitations, when we realize their impossibility, what would it mean to sit patiently with the process of conversion? But even more, what would it mean to open just now, just for this moment, to Jesus' discerning gaze of love upon each of us? especially in those deep heart places no one else sees. We are seen in the depths of our created beauty. We are seen with our hurts. We are seen in our failures and loved without a checklist, without pressure, without conditions. While we may feel we have gone away sad at some point, this loving gaze will not let us go. 
days, weeks, or years from now, may we wake up one morning and realize we have answered Jesus' call to follow, that we have returned, or realize that we have never really left, and find Jesus is right there loving us. Would you pray with me? God, dear lover of our hearts, we see you in the dance of light, the play of leaves, the healing lines of heart sacrifice. Be to us our all, be to us our hope in this called distance. Hold us for your life alone. Proclaim your favor. Nothing can we offer but the fears, the shadows, the spaces aching. Be to us the morning silence. Be to us the hugging comfort of the sliding sun. And in these dark-lit days, our path lost to mortal sight. Mother, our late-night tears quench our sleepy thirst. Love us to your side, redemption crowned, song full, our cup laughter brimmed, dancing children before you. Amen.
As we pause in response to the word, we invite you to pray, standing, kneeling, sitting. We invite you to pray at home, in the car, in the pew. We invite you to pray quiet, bowed, happy, humble. We join you as we prepare to pray, singing together, Lead Me, Lord. whose beginnings are beyond all beginnings, thou whose endings know no end, thou gracious mystery who beckons us forward, thou art ground Thou our refuge, Thou our hope, Thou our home. Before Thee we bow this day to pray. For healing delivered, we are thankful. Before illness continued, we are prayerful. For moments of peace and hours of blessed order, we are thankful. Before times of anxiety and seasons of disorder, we are prayerful. For loving goodness, lasting and real, we are thankful. Before the wilderness of separation and the desert of alienation, we are prayerful. Thou in whose light we see light, thou in whose gaze we are loved, receive our thanks Hear our prayer. In the name of Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
Friends, we pause to invite you to notice the invitations that are printed in your worship program today. And for those present and for those listening from afar, we highlight various events and opportunities in worship and education and service. This is winter break week at Boston University, and we keep before us in prayer traveling mercies for many from our congregation who are traveling. Some are traveling to West Virginia on Appalachian Mission, and we remember them. Some are traveling to Western Massachusetts for a week of farm solitude, and we remember them. Some are traveling to Rome, Italy, and other cities there to study religious architecture, and we remember them. And some are in Ephesus, in Turkey, learning even more about the history of the New Testament, and we remember them. We invite you to join us now in using the ritual of friendship that will come to you from the side aisle. These are the red books that are found in the pew. We ask you carefully to use them so that we may communicate with you and also so that you may greet your friends and neighbors by name as we worship together. We invite you to join us in coffee fellowship following the service this morning. And we invite you to join us in ministry even as a chapter member and we will be receiving and baptizing and confirming new members during our Easter vigil later in, in this season beginning of April. Likewise, we keep before you the lectures that are coming March 17th, March 24th, and March 31st by Dr. Kathy Darr on violence in the Hebrew scripture and responses by Bishop Weaver, Dr. Ada Fernandez, and Dean Hill. We encourage you to come at six o'clock on these Tuesday evenings in Lent to be a part of this study and to be a part of this fellowship. Once again, we thank our preacher of the day, Susan Forche, our colleague and friend. We thank our guest choir, our neighbor and sister choir in Coral Novo. And we pray God's blessing for you as you continue in the disciplined period of Lent. With these thoughts and concerns before us, let us continue to worship together by presenting our tithes and offerings.
give us every good and perfect thing. We offer back to you these our gifts of money, symbol of our life energy, our time, our resources, our priorities, that in your synergy of love and justice in the world, the giving may become receiving, and the receiving may become giving. In the name of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.